Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about the worst of Biden's executive order binge, injustice avalanche coming, CRT, white supremacy, privilege, and truth, and the GOP after Trump. Of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again, and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Starting to touch late today, we had a little bit of confusion with our security pass in the building. Anyway, very happy to be here and back in my seat, back in the saddle, talking to you today and every day about preserving America. In today's first five, everyone knows in this last 10 days or nine days, however you count it, uh, since we had Joe Biden go through the inauguration, he has been on an executive order binge. I mean, he has doubled, tripled, quadrupled the previous record of any past president in terms of the number of executive orders he has issued. We'll be talking about what that symbolizes a little bit more in the show, but at this first five today, I just want to share with you one of the, in fact, very first day, the first day of his presidency as he started signing executive orders that might be among the most egregious and dangerous and far-reaching executive orders uh, President Joe Biden has signed. And this order has the really, uh, as many uh, leftist ideas do, the really uh, kind of innocuous sounding name of modernizing regulatory review. Well, that sounds good. You know, who could be against modernizing and, you know, regulatory review? So he's basically talking about a new policy in place or he's ordered a study of to get to a new policy about the process the federal government uses in deciding whether to issue new regulations, how to weigh potential regulations as to whether they're going to serve the needs of America, serve a legitimate uh, legislative or uh, other goal, and then what is the um, harm or limitation to society or impact on society by the regulation. As you, you know, generally speaking, as a rule, leftists love big government. They love more rules, more order, more, more just control of the people and the businesses in this country from the government. That's just a left-wing mindset. Well, this particular executive order was uh, Mr. Biden, President Biden, ordering review of the process by which new regulations are considered, and in particular, he's targeting in on the cost-benefit analysis that is normally done, that is required to be done when new regulations are passed. As you can imagine, someone who is really, really determined, hell-bent, as they say, on regulating more and more things, especially just taking the environmental arena. Suppose you were just driven to end America's dependence on any form of fossil fuel ever, you could issue an extreme regulation uh, under, under cover of some existing federal law. And the effect could be on the American people, on the oil industry and all sorts of businesses in America, just draconian effect, shut things down immediately, uh, you know, millions out of work, all sorts of, of just things flowing from it. So the idea of a cost-benefit analysis has been part of the whole process in the federal government uh, since we, in the last, I think it was like 30, 40 years, they've had this cost-benefit analysis requirement. This is what President Biden is saying, yeah, we don't really have to bother with this. 
But what I really want to say about it is this. It is not um, coincidental that someone who's been elected to really shift America toward a far more government-controlled society, far more regulation on the American people and American businesses, would hone in on something that may be a roadblock to the kinds of things he wants to put in place. This is what which is what the cost-benefit analysis review does. It puts a roadblock in the place of some regulators who simply would, you know, do a lot more than most people think is wise, necessary, or helpful in order to get regulations um, put forward. And in particular, so this one was kind of unnoticed. There were a lot of regulations people jumped and talked about right away, but this one little hidden regulation probably have more impact than almost anything else he has put forward. Because it's basically saying, you know what, we have a big agenda and we're not going to be bothered having to take into account in any serious way how much what we're going to do might actually burden the American people, American businesses, American economy. As one little tidbit I thought was so, so interesting, um, contrasting about the amount of benefit and burden placed on American society by the previous Democrat administration of Barack Obama for eight years and the Trump administration for four years. Under President Obama, which there was a, as you might imagine, massive regulatory increase, massive increase, um, issued, essentially they, they do a study to determine costs. Um, the OMB, uh, Office of Management Budget, does this to, you know, what are the costs to the American people and society of the new regulations under the Obama era? And that came in at, at a whopping, for two terms, so eight years, a whopping $890 billion, B as in Barack, B as in billion, B as in boy, billion dollars in regulatory costs inflicted on the American economy by regulations put in place under the Obama administration. Contrast the Trump administration, which of course only had four years. Trump administration, on the other hand, that prioritized limiting regulatory costs issued uh, the, the cost of regulations in place under the four years that Trump was president was 40.4 billion. So a little simple math. If he had had two terms and kept that same maybe 80 billion, which would still be one tenth one-tenth of the amount of burden on the American economy flowing from federal regulation under Trump as contrasted with under President Obama. So a lot of concern among serious uh, you know, free market conservatives, people who just like the idea of a, a strong economy and businesses being able to function um, without undue regulation. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of concern about what this really will mean, especially in the environmental arena, where all sorts of very, very severe uh, environmental um, regulations are being contemplated, uh, the whole Green New Deal agenda coming down the pike. Uh, what will that mean if the government doesn't anymore have to stop it? And before it puts some new onerous regulation in place, consider what is the harm to the American economy. A lot of people concerned. One last quick thing. It's not exactly about this particular thing because this, what I was just talking about, refers to the federal government and President Biden having signed on to this new forget about cost benefit, you know, don't let that stand in our way uh, regulation or executive order he signed. There was the most interesting thing happened uh, in Los Angeles over the weekend, which relates to government regulation. So in California, Governor Newsom, the governor of California, Newsom, very worried now, reportedly by his inner circle, very worried as the signatures on petitions grow to recall him. 
I mean, people are sick of the kind of draconian regulation in place in California, seemingly arbitrary, seemingly uh, no response from government, no consideration, um, like we were talking about with the at the federal level, no consideration about the onerous impact of the massive regulation forever growing in the state of California, especially under COVID. There have been many Californians kind of you know, squirming in their seats, going, it's about time we end these shutdowns. In fact, recently, Governor Newsom had relaxed regulations in California due to COVID, in large part because he can see his numbers are not going well in this recall petition. So now, on to Los Angeles, the Los Angeles County government. Uh, this is, the, I just found this amazing. Los Angeles County government in light of Governor Newsom having lifted some of the COVID regulations, so there's more freedom for people in California to eat out at restaurants, to be outside, to be out and about, more freedom for the California people. But the Los Angeles County uh, issued a regulation. In fact, I sent it to Matt the Wonderful. I'll put this regulation up. It's a little bit lengthy. I'll just read a portion of it to you. So here it is. County of Los Angeles Department of Public Health Order of the Health Officer, I'm reading the top left, it runs down as of January 28th, and so that was Thursday, I think. Restaurants and breweries may reopen for outdoor dining. Wineries may reopen for outdoor wine tastings in compliance with the following protocol. And so the employees have to wear both a mask and a, a, mask and a face shield. Outdoor seating has to be limited to no more than six people for table, all have to be from the same household. All establishments have to you know, put signs up saying these are the rules. Outdoor tables must be repositioned and removed. So tables are eight feet apart, only six people at a table, um, and uh, they all those people at the same table have to be from the same household. I don't know how they can enforce that and so they start checking you know, driver's license and addresses, but it's the bottom, the next to bottom bullet point I wanted to focus on. Televisions or other screens that broadcast programming must remain off until further notice. Okay, what they're telling you is restaurants with outdoor seating, this new regulation, they're forced by Governor Newsom to allow these things to open, but they have up in the new regulation but you can't have the outdoor television on, as many places do. Inside restaurants at bars, outdoor seating, big screen televisions up a lot, and they're saying no, no televisions on outside. I'm gonna get in a moment to why they probably did it, which is inane, but I just want you to think about the mindset that those people are telling you they have. The people who run, I guess it's probably a county, I don't know what the county government is called in Los Angeles, a board of supervisors, whatever it is, the people in who run Los Angeles County think they have the right to tell restaurants whether or not they can have a television on in their outdoor dining areas. I mean, you it's so odd. We've gotten so used to, so accustomed to kind of a submission attitude, a, well, I guess the experts say it's what's best. I don't know why we're doing this, but the experts say, so this is what we have to do. So apparently, I don't know if the restaurants are pushing back or the outdoor bars will be pushing back because obviously a lot of those kind of places love to have a TV up, um, television on. But just, add, just make yourself think about that a little bit. How do we ever get here in America where the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors believes they have the right with a straight face to announce, by the way, lucky you, you're allowed to open, you restaurant owners who are practically dying your businesses are dying. 
you're allowed to have outdoor seating, but all sorts of rules, and you can't turn the television on. Now, I will tell you what's probably in their minds is the fact that the Super Bowl is coming up this coming Sunday, and the idea that probably if some really popular bar or restaurant had a big television up in the outside seating area, you might have people interested in watching the game. Who knows? Likely that would happen. People want to watch the game. And those people might get so enthused and excited watching the game that they might, you know, I don't know, jump up and down, clap, yell, you know, yay, boo, whatever they're yelling and, and happy about or not happy about. It's got to be targeted at the Super Bowl. It's like these sports fans cannot be out there. You know, they might be getting too excited and they might, you know, their mask might come off or something terrible. I, I'm, I'm a guess, going to guess as what it's targeted at, but I don't know that. But I will say this about that and wrapping up the first five. I mean, we could rant all day about this, but I want to just close up this first five by saying this. This is the mindset. This is what happens when you and our country begin to more and more submit to the idea that we are a government control-based society instead of a freedom of the people, freedom of we the people-based society. You actually think that it's your job to decide whether or not televisions can be on and you can get to factor in, well, all these people might like the Super Bowl because they might care about the game, so can't be having fun outside, can't be having people outside having fun watching a game. And you start to think of the idiocy of this. If you live in Los Angeles County and you love the Super Bowl, you're going to watch the game and you want to be with friends, you might all go to your favorite you know, bar and grill or some other restaurant, eat out and watch the game. But if you know the game is not going to be on, do you think that if you love the game, you're just going to say, well, I guess I'll go out to dinner and sit outside and not watch the game? No, you're going to have the party at your house like you did every other year. You're going to have your friends over or you're going to go to your friend's house. You have a big house full of people and you're going to watch the game. And so all the supervisors actually succeeded in doing was assuring these poor restaurants and bars who are, who are on life support already because of the draconian shutdowns will not have customers on Super Bowl Sunday. And everyone, the, the government is trying to you know, micromanage and contain and control the people who want to watch the game are going to go to their friend's house or have their friends at their house. They're going to watch the game anyway, probably not socially distanced with eight feet apart between people who aren't in the same household. People are going to be Americans. They're going to be free people. They're going to watch the game. And all that the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors really proved to America is that they are foolish enough to think they can control people and that people will just simply silently submit and, and give up on watching one of the most famous and you know all-American traditions there is, which is watching a game on Super Bowl Sunday. And that, my very fine friends, is today's First Five. You know, I want to mention something that's really um, kind of hard to think about where to start talking about this. I call this injustice avalanche coming. And I want to first give you just a few examples of, of the, you know, I talk on the show a lot about, uh, you know, Marxism. The Marxists have taken over the Democrat Party. The Marxists are in control. I mean, they are no longer the uh, on the American playing field Democrat Party. They are Marxists. They're socialists. They're not even hiding it anymore. But I want to talk about some examples of what happens that when I say avalanche of injustice coming and then where it's coming from. But just as the examples of the injustice avalanche coming, we talked about this story, I don't know, last week, Thursday, I think, or Wednesday, 
about the um, Trump supporter named Ricky Vaughn, uh, who back in 2016, during the presidential campaign, before Election Day got here, that this guy, Ricky Vaughn, um, went ahead and um, on Twitter, he was putting up misleading tweets. He was telling people who were Hillary Clinton supporters, hey, you can vote by texting. This is great. You don't have to leave home. Just text in your vote, which isn't true, of course. You can't vote by texting, at least not yet. Um, and so he's being prosecuted. He is facing 10 years in prison. Not prosecuted, by the way, you know, at the time or at any point in the Trump presidency, but now Biden's been in a week. Ricky Vaughn's been indicted. And he's facing 10 years in prison after the Biden administration comes into place. So he, Ricky Vaughn, for doing that, tweeting out, telling people that you could actually uh, vote by t vote by text, which wasn't true. I want you to have Matt the Wonderful is going to play for you something. This is a video, a tweet put out on Election Day 2016 by a Hillary Clinton supporter. Here is Veronica Wong. Hey, everybody. This is Christina Wong. And uh, I'm coming out. I'm a Trump supporter. And I just want to remind all my fellow Chinese Americans for Trump, people of color for Trump, to vote. Vote for Trump on Wednesday, November 9th. Really important day. We're going to show this country who's boss. And that's our man, Donald Trump. So don't forget to vote Donald Trump on November 9th. Okay, hold that there. Matt. So right above her, this is her tweet, but right above her, she had uh, in her tweet, she had the language and you can vote by texting. Text in your vote for Donald Trump. Now this woman, I said the wrong first thing out front, I thought it was Veronica. It's Christina Wong. Well, Christina Wong did that little video. So she's, she's doing this on election day. In 2016, election day was November 8th. She's telling Trump supporters, hey, I'm a, I'm a Trump supporter too, stick with me, vote on November 9th, which is obviously the day after election day and you can't vote, it's too late. No word yet on Christina Wong being prosecuted. I'm going to guess she will not be prosecuted. There was no one's going to throw in jail or even consider charging an Asian American woman who is a obviously Hillary supporter who put out a false video directly related to election day, directly trying, I mean, duping. She didn't say just kidding at the end, directly trying to dupe what she thought were maybe some ignorant Trump supporters who might actually think that they could wait until the following day to vote. One little standard of less than exactly even justice. But when I use the expression avalanche of injustice, I'm gonna tell you a couple of things, just, just getting started. In the United States Senate, Democrat Senator, I think from Rhode Island, um, yeah, Sheldon Whitehouse, I think it's Rhode Island. Anyway, Democrat Senator um, has introduced in a committee in the Senate a proposal. He is arguing that Charlie Kirk's organization, that wonderful organization so many people love, Turning Point USA, that is targeting bringing the conservative message to college campuses, that that organization this is Sheldon Whitehouse saying this, should lose their 501c3 status, their tax-exempt status as a charity, because, says he, they engaged in dangerous behavior, had a super spreader event, because they had an event in Florida that was attended by many young people, nobody kidnapped and dragged there, young adults voluntarily attending, 
but because he, the uh, Charlie Kirk and his organization, sponsored a big event while COVID was still around in Florida, that they should lose their 501c3 status. Yes, Rhode Island Democrat Sheldon Whitehouse, he calls them, that he called a super spreader event, and he actually said, he, he talked, here's his quote, according to press reports and social media posts, many participants gathered and mingled indoors without wearing masks in violation of Palm Beach County's uh, regulations. He goes on to say, in holding these, Point, uh, Turning Point USA knowingly exposed hundreds of young people and staff at the events to serious risk of injury. And he goes on to say, established law has long held that an organization is not eligible for tax exemption under 501c3 if a purpose of the organization is contrary to public policy. So he's saying since it's public policy, you have to wear masks and they let people in, they didn't wear masks, that they have violated public policy and they should have their tax exempt status pulled. Now, at least he's not throwing them in jail yet. But you have to, I, I, you just have to think of the irony of this. This happened in December, November. I don't know when the event was, November, October maybe even. And this guy now, you have the Biden administration, you have the, the tyrannical Marxist Democrat party in complete control of the country. And he's announcing a week into the Biden administration, yeah, we're going to shut down one of the most successful major organizations in America, spreading the conservative message to college-age people because they held a rally, because they held an event that a lot of people went to and were in close contact with each other. As I say, nobody forced them to go. These are adults acting in voluntary, in voluntary way because they wanted to go. They wanted to hear Charlie Kirk and whoever else spoke at this great event. But the irony of this, I mean, just as one example, you know, we all watched massive, massive uh, public protests all last year in all, every major city in our country where you had young people, masses of them filling the streets, congregating, sm all smashed together, some masks on, some not masks, yelling, screaming, breathing on each other, you know, the horrible thing, breathing on each other. And those organizations like Black Lives Matter, Antifa, there's not any threat to them by Sheldon Whitehouse or any Democrat. Now, to be clear, Black Lives Matter is not itself a 501c3, but it is funded by a 501c3 called Thousand Currents. So 501c3, Thousand Currents, collects the money, passes it along to Black Lives Matter, who then conducted major, ongoing, months on end, super spreader events, and nothing happens. And this kind of hypocrisy is perfectly okay with the left, because the purpose of law in the left the purpose of law is not to do the, the time-honored American tradition of blind justice, rule of law, laws apply to everyone, the same laws apply to everyone. The purpose of law when you are a leftist is to persecute your political opponents. Sheldon Whitehouse is not worried about anyone who attended the rally in, for, at Mar-a-Lago or wherever it was in Florida for Charlie Kirk's Turning Point USA. He's not worried about them. He's seizing an opportunity to destroy an effective political organization with whom he disagrees. Very similar to what happened under Obama administration, using the IRS to target Tea Party groups, organizations who dared to push a political message they didn't like. So you have, as just starting example, you have Sheldon Whitehouse, not even, you know, barely in the Obama administration, 
try and to be really clear, he's not saying shut down Turning Point USA, but if you function in this arena when you need to raise money to function, I mean, Turning Point USA does not produce a product. They're not paid by someone to produce a product. They are funded by donors. They're funded by people who believe in their cause and write checks. And those people, in part, are motivated to write checks because their donations are tax deductible. That's a point of a 501c3. Inspires people to support charities and they get a tax deduction for their donations. So this is not shutting down Turning Point USA. It is an attempt to financially cripple them. But this is fine with Sheldon Whitehouse. Does not matter to him at all uh, what is the, um, what's going to happen apparently at a 501c3 if he were to succeed. Now he's just getting started talking, but this is the, what I'm getting at and I want to grasp, I want to tell one other quick story about injustice kind of thinking and then get into what really motivates these people on the left. The last one is, and it's just a, you know, Something still could come of this, but it appears nothing will. So you had Nancy Pelosi's husband, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi's husband, made a huge investment into Tesla. Huge financial investment into Tesla. You know, electric car companies that are very trendy, you know, because they don't burn uh, fossil fuels. And he made this investment and made, and at just before, the Biden administration announced that they're going to buy a whole fleet of electric vehicles from Tesla. So in, in most people's plain English, th this was sound like insider trading. I mean, it has the appearances of insider trading. I don't know what Nancy Pelosi knew. I don't know what her husband knew, but I'm going to guess that if she, if the whole, if every role was reversed and this were somehow a Republican in Congress whose spouse invested a boatload of money before an announcement came from the Republican administration that that obviously stock is going to go up, purchases are going to go up. I mean, I'm sure you'd have clamoring in the media for an investigation. My guess is that nothing at all will happen to Nancy Pelosi. But those are my kind of quick stories. I could spend the rest of the show doing these, but I want to get the, the deeper point though about why uh, injustice is heading our way. It's not just that the Democrat party happens to have control of the White House and the Senate and the House. They have stranglehold control. But it is the idea of what they want to do and how they see their role in government as, as not merely being the ones, the guardian of American liberty, not, be, not just being the ones who are in charge of, of perpetuating America the great. They see this opportunity. They are seizing this opportunity to grow what they understand to be the right direction, the right kind of government, which is more and more and more control over the people. It is the hallmark of left-wing politics. Find a way to justify left-wing control over the people. I sent Matt the wonderful something. Okay, in the last like 30 seconds before I left my house, I put together this little PowerPoint. It is not pretty yet. I'll make it pretty tomorrow or some other day. But I sent him a quick PowerPoint. Just, I, I wanna tell you that we're gonna watch great tyranny coming our way from the left and in great part, or and virtually all of it, will spring off of these. So the, the cover page of it, Matt, if you can put that thing up, I, I called it um, perpetual emergencies justifying extreme measures. And those are the ways, those are the reasons, listen the, on the left there, those are the reasons the left's going to have to justify the impending tyranny. It's either going to be justified by climate change, 
the LGBTQ agenda, economic inequality, alleged racism, and COVID. Those five kind of policy arenas will justify the overwhelming kind of tyranny we're going to start to see in America coming from the left. And I'm going to say this, I'll make it prettier for next time, but I'm going to save it to remind you, these are all arenas in which the left has gained control, or they think they can gain control of American society and law and business, because all of these are their, their supposed agenda items that will justify everything they're going to do. Okay, so now turning back. So the House, um, in this ongoing quest for leftist control of America, announced, and we talked about this a little bit, I think a week ago or more, the House announced that they're not just, they're going to have a new um, set of rules relating to the pronouns you're allowed to use. So the House has, you know, uh, they want to remove in their term gendered language from official House rules. So you can no longer say words in any House rules that comport with normal human understanding of, of people and life and families. You can't say father, mother, son, daughter, brother, sister, and so on. But you have to use gender neutral terms gender neutral terms. So cousin, I guess is probably okay. Parent, child, sibling, those are okay. But they're getting rid of gender language. And they justified, of course, uh, going back to my five bases upon which they'll justify all tyranny, this being the LGBTQ agenda. But I want to I want to expand beyond just this rule, which, you know, it has this absurdity. Nancy Pelosi violated the first day they had it. She got up and said, I come here as a mother, a grandmother, a daughter. And so, like she forgot her rule she had. But in any case, the idea of this is not just that they justify it by the LGBTQ agenda support, but what they're really instilling in the American people is the idea that government gets to tell you what words you can use. That's the government's job to pass judgment on what words are permitted, what words are not permitted, you know, what things you can and can't say. This is the idea of the left. The whole concept is policing our language. It's a form of thought control. It's a form, it epitomizes the Marxist agenda. It epitomizes the idea that government's not just there to have a free people continue to rule, a free people continue to roll forward in the freedoms promised in America. It's a concept not just to bolster the LGBTQ agenda, but to instill in you and your thinking, do not think for a moment that you get to think for yourself, that you get to decide for yourself how you speak, what you say, uh, and, and in many ways, it just, it's intended to undermine the entire American family structure. I wanted to go into today, but I think I'm, I'm going to save it for tomorrow, the broader thought about this, because I think it's really important to understand. I use the term Marxist on this show. I never use terms in a hyperbolic way. I don't just throw out words. I actually mean the left has been overtaken by Marxism, or to be more precise, America has been taken over uh, in many facets of American society by Marxism. And the left is now, with this complete control in Washington, using that altered society, altered thought about freedom to push their agenda. But I'm going to save the, the bigger discussion for tomorrow because I, I want to stay on track and, and not, um, not go past my time. Matt the Wonderful, he seems to think I'm going to stay within the limits of my time show, but I am going to. So the time we have a lot to the show. So I'm going to two other quick things. Uh, one is uh, the CRT uh, language, which I think probably a lot of you know CRT is critical race theory, white supremacy, 
privilege, and truth. And back to my five things I told you that will justify all sorts of tyranny coming toward us, race and racism is one of them. So I'll quickly tell you a story about a, a private school in New York City. There's a private school in New York City, very, very, it's a prep school, very high end, very expensive. Um, and so many, many wealthy people send their kids to this school. Not many, many, it's a very tiny school. I think it's like got 1,300 um, students um, and it costs $54,000 a year to go there. $54,000 a year to go there. And so very upscale, very, you know, a ruling elite kind of school, prep school. And in this school, the agenda, as the, the uh, parents are watching the academic agenda, the academic curriculum, there's a group of parents becoming increasingly concerned because everything about the agenda, everything about the school curricula, the courses, whether it's math and science and art, everything is focused on the left wing, white privilege, white supremacy, victimization agenda. And so these at this school, the parents got concerned. So they wrote a letter to the administration to say, why is it that we, that everything in our kids' school, and I'll, I'll tell you, there's a little clip from the note they wrote. There's, there's a, the school is called Dalton, D-A-L-T-O-N, Dalton School. So the parents got together and wrote a letter to the administration. Every class this year has had an obsessive focus on race and identity, racist cop reenactments in science, decentering whiteness in art class, learning about white supremacy and sexuality in health class, wildly inappropriate. Many of these classes feel more akin to a Zoom corporate sensitivity training than to Dalton's intellectually engaging curriculum. The letter is asking a school to, import, to appoint an impartial ombudsman, somebody outside the Dalton school, to look at the agenda and say, why, is, why are we obsessed with race in every subject? But the reason I'm telling this story, it's great that these parents tried to speak up, because the left uses race to impose tyranny. The left uses the race, the racial agenda, the argument about white supremacy, white privilege, definitely use it at all times to impose their tyranny. But the, a really ironic aspect of this story, the Dalton School, these parents who pay $54,000 a year to send their kids to this school were afraid to sign their own names. They sent the letter to the school anonymously. We are Dalton parents. Here's what we think. They're so afraid of the mob, the left-wing mob that would turn on them if they actually identified themselves and said, yeah, you know, we are, wherever their names are, you know, these are our kids in this school, uh, and, and we, we, don't, we don't want this race-obsessed agenda. These parents who are paying the school, I mean, the school can't function without all these parents paying ridiculous, um, and maybe, it's, I'm not down in private school, maybe the tuition's fully worth it, I don't know. But these parents are afraid of the school, afraid of the media, afraid of the left-wing mob in this country. So even though they're very concerned about the kids' education and they're willing to write a letter to the school, they won't even sign their own names because they know what would come. The left-wing mob would attack them as racist, etc., and down they would go and their poor kids would suffer. So that's one aspect. We are so obsessed with race in every topic 
in this country. And so you had parents trying to speak up, but afraid to speak up by name. Kind of a similar story in Georgia. Uh, in the state of Georgia, there was actually one Georgia state representative who sent a letter to the University System of Georgia, to the chancellor, and the state Republican said, essentially, can you tell us, and these are so, these are, to the Georgia public universities, can you tell me how much of our taxpayer dollars are going in your schools toward the agenda, and he gave examples toward the agenda to tell people that because of their inherent characteristics, they should be considered privileged or oppressed. I mean, how much time, money, energy is dedicated into, into instilling this race-obsessed left-wing agenda in this country? So he asked that question. Um, are classes within the Georgia public school system? He's also acting about the public schools. Um, teaching students what constitutes privilege and oppression. Are any classes teaching students who happen to be or identify as white, male, heterosexual, Christian, are they told they're intrinsically privileged and therefore oppressors? Are they defined as, under the oppressor term the school's been using, malicious, unjustice, unjust, and wrong? And this guy's trying to say the Georgia taxpayers pay money to fund the public schools and the public universities, and how much of their money is being spent to divide America along racial lines. So this guy, of course, got huge blowback, huge, you know, the schools were upset, the chancellor of the public universities, or how dare you interfere with our academic freedom, blah, blah. You're not even allowed to ask how much of our time, money, effort is being spent on this. So I raise a lot of story, these stories to say, we have a very challenging time in this country because the left that has taken over, runs Washington, is, Number one, driving many, many policies based on their depiction of America as a deeply racist country. They have made, because they own the media and, and Hollywood and, and much of the culture, made it very hard for anyone to question anything. You, you can't even ask. And, and the whole racial agenda, to be clear, is designed entirely to give more power to the leftists who are already in power. The racial agenda, instilling racial suspicion, hatred, distrust, angst, and concern among the American people is done very, very purposefully and intentionally by the left because it is a basis for them, it's a source for them of more political power, more control, and more suppression of the people. It's the reason they focus on race. And on the other hand, I want to say as we move forward trying to make our way through this next period of time in America, it does not help for people on the conservative side to just give cavalier answers and say, there's no such thing as racism, that's not red, that's not true, because then we ourselves look foolish and look like we're not in touch either. To reject the left's race-obsessed agenda does not mean that to be conservative, you have to pretend that there's no such thing as racism. I'll tell you a very quick story about that, because we're gonna run out of time here, a very quick story about that. But um, there was a group that was uncovered uh, in Florida, um, and they are called the Sovereign American, I think Sovereign American Project, something like that. Sovereign American Project, it's a group in Florida, um, and they were described in a story in the Florida uh, newspaper, Sun Sentinel, and they were actually identified or uncovered and identified 
by a wonderful organization uh, that tries to root out oppression of all kinds, tries to root out extremism and oppression called the Clarion Project. So the Clarion Project uncovered this group called the Sovereign American Project and said this is a white supremacist group. The spokesperson for the group asked to give comments to the media said, we're not white supremacists, that's, that's a terrible accusation, we are not, we're just in favor of American sovereignty and blah, blah. So I will tell you that the term white supremacist gets thrown around so much, mostly by the left, to accuse anyone who disagrees with them on anything, so the term is thrown around, and you get to where you know you're afraid to speak. These parents at the at the private school in New York City, this Georgia legislator, no, everyone's afraid to touch the subject of race, unless of course they're going to go along with the entire radical leftist, uh, um, you know, race agenda, to uh, to label and broad brush paint all of America's racist, to broad brush our country as a racist country. So you, if you want to reject that, you. You want, and it's, people get tempted to say, well, let's just not even talk about it or let's pretend it doesn't exist. But I want to say about the Sovereign American Project because it was labeled by Clarion Project as a white supremacist group. So I actually dug in and read their website because they're saying, no, we're not, we're not, and that's crazy. Okay, and so, but they had, I mean, I could read you several other bullet points. I'll read you just one. No, I'll read you two. Um, one was that any privilege, okay, I gotta find the one I care about the most. Um, any privilege whites have had has been earned and passed down through generations. No, I mean, whites in America have not been slaves. And I'm, I'm not saying, I'm saying what they're trying to say is trying to act like there's no such thing as historical facts in America that make it true that in America, you know, you have had some privilege if you're not, you know, historically, because you were not uh, slaves yourself or the descendants of slaves. So that's like, now that, that's completely false. Um, then the other one, which was the most egregious at all of all, says the, that the rights of citizens are not extended to those here illegally. Okay, so you can battle that one out. But here's the key that says, answers the question, and the answer is yes, you are white supremacist. Their answer was, they say that whites, whites, capitalized, you know, the word whites capitalized, should always have the majority of power and influence in the nations founded and built by our European ancestors. I'm sorry, Sovereign American Project, you do not get to say you're not a white supremacist and yet say on your website that you believe that whites should always have the majority of power and influence in the nations founded and built by our European ancestors. That, my friends, is flat out white supremacy. It is racist, it is ugly, and people on the conservative side who want to move toward a society where we are, we are treating each other as equals, we say we believe in the founding ideals of America, we can't do that if we see or read something like this and simply unwilling to acknowledge it or pretend it's no big deal. That's an ugly racist thought. I'm not saying it's an illegal thought. I mean, in America, you're allowed to think pretty much anything. I mean, you know, the communists want to take over the country. The communists want to destroy freedom in this country. Uh, all sorts of groups of various kinds have really bad agendas and really wrong agendas. I'm happy to call all of them out, any of them, that their agenda is inconsistent 
with the freedom and goodness of America. But a group like this, Sovereign American Project, saying white people should be in charge of any uh, nations founded or built by European ancestors, flat out racist. And uh, kudos to the um, organization that called them that called them out, the um, Clarion Project, for calling them out, for saying, "Sorry, this is this does not fly in America." Okay, one last really really quick story, and it's actually kind of an important story. Uh, I, and I'm sorry, there's a lot of time for it, but a very quick summary is this: there is a really huge question, the GOP after Trump. I'll tell you three things. One. There have been now over a dozen, apparently, former members of the George W. Bush administration who have removed their names or removed their membership from the Republican Party, saying because the Republican Party has uh, calling the Republican Party the Trump cult. So George W. Bush Republicans of the era when he was president, people who served under him, have uh, left the Republican Party officially. That's one point of fact. Uh, next point of fact is this. So after Trump is out, he's out in Florida, and he's awaiting his impeachment thing, which is we'll get to another day. But Kevin McCarthy, now the minority leader in the House, went down to Florida to meet with President Trump. McCarthy, to be clear, who had actually made at least one comment where he seemed to blame Trump for the January 6th invasion at the Capitol. But McCarthy, you know, it's a little bit, McCarthy had to fly to Florida to see Trump. Trump didn't come up to see him. McCarthy wants to come. They use the expression, you know, kisses ring, whatever. McCarthy went down to say to Trump, hey, we got to work together. We got to work together because the 2022 elections are coming and we have to try to focus on taking back the House. And the reason this is so significant is this. What Donald Trump did for the Republican Party and for America as a whole is to restore the passion for the goodness and greatness of America in the hearts and minds of millions and millions of Americans. Trump has converted the party from what it had sadly dissolved into in Washington, which was one half of the uniparty with the Democrats. You had the Republican ruling elite and the Democrat ruling elite, and they're all in their happy little ruling elite club in Washington, and none of them are listening to the American people, and none of them are making policies, were making policies, to look out for the interests of the American people. Trump ran as president to say, you know what? The point of government is that to represent you, the people, is to represent you, to represent your concerns, to try to make sure we have logical uh, immigration policy and strong borders so we have an America as a country, to be sure we try to bring jobs back to America, that we try to have a, 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 a robust American free market economy, and that you're part of it, you American people, that the Uniparty in Washington should not be making policy based on who's the biggest donor, who's the biggest lobbyist, what globalist will invite you to their soiree if you only support them. Trump is saying, no, America matters, and you American people mattered. And it was very significant that just you know, a short time after Donald Trump left office, the leader of the Republican Party in the House had to go down to Florida and say, you got to work with this, recognizing that Kevin McCarthy, by going, making that trip, is recognizing the GOP cannot continue, cannot thrive, cannot win 
without the Republican mindset, the, the Republican rejuvenated, uh, joyful, positive, upbeat, patriotic message that Trump gave to America and that the Republican base has embraced. McCarthy realizes America needs that, so he has to go see Trump and talk about it. And Trump's all cordial, nice, you know, group picture together, smile, smile, shake hands, oh yeah, we're together. But I really, what I want to get around to in this last few minutes of the show is what's going to, moving forward, what happens with the GOP? We don't nearly have enough Republicans of the George W. Bush, I'm so offended, Lincoln Project, I'm too, um, you know, I'm too intellectual and too self-righteous and too, you know, highfalutin to relate to this common man, Trump, and his, you know, pedestrian followers. There aren't enough people in America to support the GOP ruling class establishment. They can't win elections. The people who put together the Lincoln Project, the people who are dropping out of the Republican Party because they're George W. Bush, there are not enough uh, you know, Republicans of that ilk in this country to elect anyone. What Trump has brought to the Republican Party, this renewed love of America, is either going to be embraced and brought into the Republican Party, and if other Republicans don't like it, they can leave, or there's going to be a new party created because Republicans can't budge. The Mitch McConnells of the world, the ruling class elite, the Kevin McCarthy, who is still ruling class elite, even though he went to visit Trump, these people got to figure out what do they want the Republican Party of the future to be? Because they can't win being the snooty uh, uniparty. They've got to get down and, 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 and radiate, their, with, uh, connect with, and, and show appreciation for, and actually listen to and engage in policymaking based on the needs of the American people. So that's the, the struggle the GOP faces. And I'll tell you, I can get you know very concerned about where our country's headed in a variety of reasons. But I have to say, I feel a little bit optimistic right now. I'll close out the show on this note. I feel kind of optimistic because there, I said a moment ago, the Republican Party, the ruling class elite, it may consist of a significant number of Republican senators and some number of Republican House members. But the vast majority of this country, the we the people, who support a good and strong and noble and free America, we are the majority. Trump won the election in a landslide, both absolute numbers and electoral college had there not been cheating. And Republicans know it, the Democrats know it, and so where we are right now in this country is figuring out the GOP, figuring out, are we gonna, are we gonna get on board with the Trump agenda? Or are we going to say, you know what, we're just going to rot in place in Washington in our unit party status and go the way of the Whig party? That's their question because there are plenty of people chomping in the bit, ready to jump in and say, we need a new party. We give up on the Republicans. And you know what, really, the other thing I'll really will close out the show at this point. We talked for decades everyone talked about politics of Republicans, uh, and they are pro-business and pro-military, pro-strong economy, you know, and the Democrats were the, you know, pro, you know, kind of very uh, liberal and social issues, pro-big government spending on social programs, those kind of things. That was kind of the traditional definition of the two parties. 
But that's not really how the, the country breaks down logically anymore. Where we break down is you have a ruling elite in Washington, made up of Democrats and Republicans, and you have the wide swath of Americans, the vast majority of Americans, who want their country to be noble, strong, free, free market, and they want a government that listens to them. And somehow or other, my friends, those people are going to win. It is the elite versus the people, and the, the people are going to win by pure sheer numbers. We'll talk more about how they're going to win, what we have to do, but this ruling elite class, I don't know how soon they'll figure it out or what will drive them to see it, but they can't win where they are now. They've got to decide if they're going to budge or not. So it's the ruling elite versus the people. Now I will say, I think that you know what Trump brought to America, people keep wanting to call it the cult of Trump, the party of Trump, Trumpism. I love that Trump brought it out, brought out everything he brought out, but the ideas he brought out, these are ideas that will far and long be around and, and be powerful long after Trump is no longer on this earth. I mean, I wish him a long and healthy life. I'm just saying he restored the idea of America back to the idea of the founding. So to label, it's not just Trumpism, it's really getting back to the roots of America. And those ideas, I think, will prevail because the mass, vast majority of Americans still want them. And because the left has become, as we're going to clearly see over the next two and then four years, has clearly become a government-controlling, Marxist, freedom-limiting, income-limiting, job-destroying, country-destroying, freedom-destroying, freedom of religion destroying party and the people are not going to be they'll be chomping at the bit to change course in two years we get to 2022 have to make sure we have election integrity so that we get fair elections but the people in this country are going to win this because because the vast majority of people are on the side of being america I'll close out the show by doing what I uh, close the show by telling you I do at the close of every show, which is telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So worst of Biden's executive order binge, maybe the worst of executive orders, removal of required cost benefit analysis to justify regulations. This is how the Pandora's box opened for regulatory overreach especially involving climate change. Keystone pipeline type projects easily killed by regulation on simple ground of necessity to combat climate change, just like economic lockdowns and grounds of necessity to combat the pandemic. No analysis of competing interests of jobs, communities, tax revenues versus how solid are the expectations of climate change benefits. Example, LA County recently banned televisions at outdoor bars. Not a federal action, but the same concept. What is the cost-benefit analysis? Militant leftist causes won't require any justification beyond militancy. Americans will not respond well to what they may feel like is arbitrary job-killing regulation. And on injustice avalanche coming, anti-Biden memester arrested by the FBI, Ricky Vaughn, faces 10 years for tweeting encouragement of Democrats to vote for, um, was actually to vote for, um, Hillary by text back in four years ago. Um, and then anti-Trump memester found doing exactly the same thing four years ago, tweeting encouragement Trump supporters to vote by text. Will there be an FBI arrest and push for her imprisonment? I don't think so. Democrat Senator Sheldon Whitehouse pushing for disqualification of charitable status of Turning Point USA because of holding a 
super spreader event in Florida in the fall of 2020. A summer full of super spreader riots all over America. Will White House be pushing for disqualification of any charities involved in the summer riots? Pelosi's husband makes big investment in Tesla just prior to Biden's announcement about federal move to all electric vehicles. Will a Democrat FBI and DOJ even investigate? My guess is no. The American people see all of this. They see a ruling class that enforces it. Loss of the rule of law is extremely dangerous for all Americans. And on CRT, white supremacy, privilege, and truth. And CRT being critical race theory. Racism has been the poison of choice for leftists for decades. We talked about the 1619 Project, New York Times effort to make America think our entire history is rooted in race versus 1776 Project. Critical race theory taught everywhere. Georgia State Rep castigated for even asking about it. Fancy New York private school blasts, receives blasts from parent donors objecting to the avalanche of teaching American hatred, but the letters delivered anonymously because parents fear retribution. This is the silence and divide campaign so harmful to social cohesion. White supremacy should be rooted out and shunned wherever it's actually found, but broad brush, unfounded accusation and castigation hurts everyone. And on the GOP after Trump, W officials running for the exits from the GOP. But Kevin McCarthy travels to Florida to mend fences with Trump. A 2022 GOP retaking of the House seen as, seen as dependent on Trump's support. 75 million Trump voters are not Trump sycophants or cultists, but they are resentful of ruling class elitism and defiance of the America First agenda. Remains to be seen what will become of the GOP. Lots of sorting out still to come. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Please go to our website, americacanwetalk.org. Hit the subscribe button for our once-week newsletter. You can hit the donate button to keep this show going. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. But most of all, please tune in to America Can We Talk every day, Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you